for the next seven weeks, including today, we're going to be hitting on our mission today. And then we have six core values that we've been talking about. So these are six things that we value the most as a church. Now, it may sound a little bit different to you if you've been connected to Gospel City, but really there's no difference at all. We are keeping the same, what they call them four pillars, the same four pillars, but we're adding two things that the church is already concerned with and it's already important. So let me run through those real quick. And this is what we're going to spend the six weeks after today on. The first core value is bold preaching. God has given us his word. And the preacher who comes up here is not here to share his opinion. We're here. We preach the words of God and we do it boldly. We do it with authority, not on our own authority, but the authority of God's word. He's given us his word to be our authority. The second core value, sincere worship. We worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. So in a couple weeks on what does sincere worship look like? Sincere worship may look different to you than it does to me. I'm an expressive guy. I like to verbalize that. Some of you may not be that expressive and you're not going to shout hallelujah and that's just okay. But we're all called to sincerely worship the Lord. Our third, third uh, core value is this, fervent prayer. Our greatest expression of dependence on the Lord is through prayer. Praying acknowledges to God that we are desperate for you. And if you do not show up, we're in trouble. And so we pray and we want to be fervent about that because the, the Lord loves the prayers of his people. This one you haven't seen before, but really this is everything we're about anyway, right? Purposeful discipleship. That's another core value. Purposeful discipleship that's both intentional and it's in community. So our small groups. What are we going for in small groups? We're going for purposeful discipleship. We don't gather together just for a time of fellowship to feel good about one another. Oh, this is great. I love these people. We gather together so that we become more and more like Christ. We want to be purposeful discipling, purposefully discipling one another. You've seen this before in one form or fashion. Uh, another core value is courageous evangelism. We're going to hit on that pretty hard today on what that looks like a little bit. And then we're going to spend a lot more time uh, in a few weeks on looking at courageous evangelism. But we are called to go forth into our spheres of influence and declare the glory of God. Declare the glory of God. And then the last one is this may be different. But again, we are beneficiaries of a church that values strategic church planting. That's our, our last core value. We want to plant churches together and we want to plant churches around the world. Now this doesn't mean that next week we're going to launch our church, another church. But Lord willing, we will grow. We will see men developed in the church who are ready to go plant their own church. And if I could just share, like I have no, no idea how big God will grow our church. And honestly, I'm not concerned with that. But my desire is to have local communities where people can gather in their local communities and invite people to that church so that they can be discipled in a place that they're not driving 45 minutes away. The reason Nikki and I came out here is because we saw a need of people who are driving 40 minutes for whatever reason to Gospel City. And we had the conviction that we want to see a local body of believers who can gather in their communities. And so we want to be a church. Whether we ever plant a church or not, we will be a church who cares about strategic church planting. If you were here several weeks ago, we had... Uh, Mark Patton here, who shared about the church that they're planting in Hungary, in Budapest, very popular city. And so we are going to do our best to at least pray 
And if the Lord would bless us financially in such a way where we could help them out financially, then we want to be about helping other churches plant churches in places all across the world where maybe the resources aren't as great as what the Lord has blessed us with here in, in the U.S. And so that's what we're going to be spending. That's our next seven weeks. So today, though, we are going to be focusing on our mission. And so I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. There's a phrase that you've certainly heard, and it can bring different things to your mind when you hear it. But that phrase is famous last words. Right? Have you ever done something crazy like skydiving or bungee jumping and you kind of ask that person, hey, what's, your fam- what's the famous last words? <laughs> or somebody who says, you know, somebody's going for the 15,000th time on jumping out of the plane and you're like, oh, be careful. Oh, I've done this a million times. I'll be fine. Oh, that's the famous last words. But there's also a value that we put on the words of people who are facing the last days of their life here on earth. Uh, we've seen recently in the news that Chadwick Boseman, the actor of Black Panther, passed away after facing four years of colon cancer to which the public had no idea that he was struggling with. And I remember seeing so many different Facebook posts, articles that came across of Boseman's last words, Boseman's last words. And so I did a little research and and I found out, here, here's a, the last text that he actually sent to his producer. So this is right after him visiting this kid who was dealing with a disease that would take his life soon. And he brought some, some gifts to him and bought some presents. And he was just interacting with his producer on that experience. And this is what he said. It broke me, man. But we need to do that for them. People deserve abundant life, special moments. Interesting, abundant life, Right? They've been through hell battling disease. If we were able to ease their suffering and bring joy for a moment, and hopefully moments as he goes through the bags, that's the gifts that he had given to him, then we made a difference in his life. So there's some, humanly speaking, some good things. Do you know what his very last words were? They were to his mom. You could probably guess. Wakanda forever. That was his last words. Well, we tend to value last words, don't we? Maybe you have a loved one, a parent who went on, and they gave you some words that you have just clung to. And those are really important things for us to hear often. And usually, they're usually some of the person's best words that they ever share is when they are facing death and the the reality of their time on earth coming to an end. Well, here we see in Matthew 28, these are Jesus' last words in the book of Matthew before he heads up to heaven. Words that contain Our greatest calling, both as a church and personally. And if we are going to grow as a church, if we are going to grow as believers in Christ, then we are going to fulfill the calling that God has given us. And so let's jump into this wonderful, challenging text this morning. Matthew 28, follow with me as I read starting in verse 18. And Jesus came And said to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word that you give us. God, you, when you left this earth to go into glory, you left us with our mission, but you did not leave us on our own. You have given us a great calling here. God, that when you save us, you do not intend for us to bury that truth and to go on with a happy life doing whatever we want to. You save us from the depths of our disparity in order to make much of you and to make disciples of people all around us. And God, we confess that we need help. We need your help. We need boldness. We need faith. We need courage. And so God, I pray as we look at your word this morning, would you open our eyes to where we need to grow? God, how can we be better disciple makers? How can we be better disciples for your glory? God, would you move in us this morning? Would you speak through us? Would you use your word to enlighten our hearts, Lord? God, allow me to say what I need to say and keep me from saying the things that I should not. And give us the gift of illumination, God, our hearts in our minds to be open to what you have for us. God, thank you for your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So hopefully this is a familiar passage. If you've been in church in a while, this is a familiar passage. And we actually know these scriptures by what name? The Great Commission, right? This is the commission from Jesus. The Great Commission that we are to go forth and make disciples And so our mission statement comes right from that. We want to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And we hold that calling here that was given to his disciples. We hold it as our calling today. And so I want to look at five truths about our greatest calling. Five truths for us to consider in what Jesus has called us to. So the first thing is this. Our calling comes from Jesus. Our calling comes from Jesus. So look, look, at, look back at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So earlier, Jesus had already, so at this point, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already risen from the grave. He's already appeared to the disciples before. And now he's saying, hey, I want you to go to this mountain in Galilee and I'm going to show up there. And so the disciples are there anticipating Jesus coming to them. And this is what happens. Verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Isn't that the proper response when we see Jesus? We respond in worship because of what he has done. And the disciples have seen amazing things in the life of Jesus. They saw this dead man come to life. They saw all the miracles before he died. And so they worship him. Some doubted. Some doubted. Now, here's what we need to understand here. Coming up to this point, when we look at verse 18, which says that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, we we can go off track here. We can think that somehow Jesus was just born as a normal man, and some people will hold to this. He lived a good life. 
He lived an amazing life. And then because of the way he lived, that's when Jesus, God declared him to be God and gave him the power that he had. But that's not the case. So if you look at all of Scripture, we need to study all of Scripture. And we don't just take one passage and look at that and declare truth. What are the surrounding passages say? What does the entirety of Scripture teach us? And it becomes very clear that Jesus was God from the beginning. In fact, look at what John 1, 1 through 3 says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word is Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what is this saying? It's saying that Jesus is the creator. So Jesus didn't just come into the picture of eternity when he was born from the Virgin Mary. Jesus has always been in the picture. Jesus was there at the beginning. He created all things. Nothing was created apart from Jesus. And so when we look at this and we see that all authority has been given to him, this isn't something that just happened after the resurrection. In fact, Jesus humbled himself. We see this in Colossians 2, 6 through 8. Though he was in the form of God, he was God, right? Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. You see that? He emptied, he did not display all of his power as God while he was here on earth. Was he still God? Yes, he was still God. But he emptied himself by become, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus didn't have to earn his status with God. He didn't come to earth to prove, hey, I, I, I can do this. I'm going to do this. You ever have your kids say this? Oh, I'm going to do a good job. Or they do something wrong. I'm never going to do something again. Was Jesus, Jesus didn't come thinking, oh, I can do this. I'm going to do this. Jesus came knowing he was going to do this because he was God. And yet he emptied himself. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, even though he was God. Now these are things, this is sort of the deep end of the theological pool, isn't it? It's hard for us to grasp all of this. But then Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. He rose from the grave. And then God declared this of Jesus later in Colossians in that same passage. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And thus we read in Matthew that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. And Jesus is the one that gives us our calling. Therefore, when we see what he's called us to, we should understand the authority that comes behind this calling. You see, Jesus reigns over all. Even now, in the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of the craziness that's going on in our world, Jesus is absolutely in control. Jesus is not like a parent where you might have authority over your kid for a while, but your kid reaches a certain age and you send him out and he's got to make his own decisions and the authority is no longer yours. Jesus always has authority. And as believers in Christ, we are called to bow the knee, aren't we? 
Even Jesus said, whoever would come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so we should pay attention and realize that this calling for us as believers comes with absolute authority. And that should humble us. That should allow us to stop and pause and realize that what he's about to tell us to do comes from his authority. And he reigns over all. So let me ask you, are you living with the weightiness of the authority of Christ in your life? Do you submit yourself to Jesus regularly, understanding that you want everything you do to be to the glory of his name? Are you living as though Jesus is sovereign and in control of all things? Jesus gives us our calling. And we are called to come under that authority. <laughs> Isn't that both frightening and, though, extremely encouraging? Because we know that Jesus is not going to give us something to do if we are unable to finish that. He's not going to call us to do something that's impossible for us to do. Because either we're going to be able to do it or he's going to give us a spirit and we're going to do it through the power of his spirit. But don't forget that our calling comes from Jesus. Feel the weight of that this morning as we go deeper here. Here's the truth number two. Our calling is to go starting with where you are. Our calling is to go starting with where you are. Look at verse 19. Go, therefore. Let's just stop right there for a minute. When you see it, therefore... What do you do? <laughs> Ask why it's there for. What is it there for? That's a simple way to remember it. It's referring to something that was previously said. Because Jesus has authority over heaven and earth, he can tell us to go. Because Jesus reigns, because he is sovereign, he tells us to go. Go. And make disciples of all nations. So what exactly is a disciple? Here's the point. What exactly is a disciple? Listen to what Leon Morris has to say. In this gospel, a disciple is both a learner and a follower. So we don't just say, I love Jesus because I don't want to go to hell. That's not a disciple necessarily. A disciple is one who looks to come under the authority of one's teaching. We kind of lose this in translation because we don't have like teachers that we follow. Like even in the scriptures you see wrestling in the epistles like, oh, I'm, I'm for Apollos. I'm under Paul. Like we, we don't, we, we don't, we kind of lose that, the idea of discipleship. In fact, just a question. How many of you have ever had a mentor who specifically directly spoke into your life? Who's had a mentor? So a few of us, but a lot of us have not. And so this idea of discipleship is, is I am coming under the authority of the teaching of Jesus. Therefore, I am going to be a learner. I need to know what Jesus said, and I want to follow what Jesus says. I'm going to follow after Jesus. My life is going to look like Jesus. That's a disciple. He goes on. A disciple takes Jesus as his teacher and learns from him. And a disciple also follows 
Jesus. The life of a disciple is different because of his attachment to Jesus. There's a relationship there. We don't just worship Jesus in name and he gives us, he allows us to escape some pain or something and then we never really have a relationship with him. That's not a disciple of Jesus. That's not one who's following after him. That's not one who's attached. The master is not giving a command that will merely secure nominal adherence to a group, but one that will secure wholehearted commitment to a person. And for me as a pastor, I'm not so concerned that you would be a member of Gospel Community Church. I'm more concerned that you would belong to Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him. We are called to make that kind of disciple We are called to be that kind of disciple that is a learner of Jesus, that is a follower, that it has a relationship and pursues Jesus and is attached to them. We're called to make followers of Jesus. We're going to spend more time on that, on how we are to make disciples. But let's just focus right here now on the go part. We're called to go make disciples. We are called to go. And if you look back... In Luke, we just got finished with Luke, and in the Great Commission, we don't see it just like we do here. But one of the things we see when Jesus calls to go proclaim the forgiveness of sin through repentance, he says, start where? In Jerusalem, if you remember. Start where you are at. This call to make disciples is not a call where at the end of the service, I'm going to call everybody forward who wants to go over to Africa and serve. Maybe God would do that be amazing if we had missionaries that we could support from our own church. But primarily and firstly, start with where you are at. Make disciples where God has placed you. First and foremost, parents in your homes, husband with your wife, wives. Sometimes that means you are sharing the gospel in the way you live and sometimes with words with your husband. Start with your own family. God has uniquely placed many of you in a job. So he's called you to seek. How can you make disciples with God, where God has placed you with your career? Maybe it's fellow coworkers. Maybe it's people who come in, customers who buy from you. God has uniquely placed us in neighborhoods around certain people who need the gospel, who need Jesus. And we are called by the authority of Jesus to go forth into our spheres of influence and make disciples. So therefore, we don't just come to church on Sunday. We don't just go to small group and we call it good. He's called us to go out into our community. I need Sunday mornings because I need the gathering of God's people. And I need my heart recentered to worship the Lord. I need small group because I need my brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage me when I'm faint-hearted, who can call me out when I'm stumbling, and who can encourage me to go forth into the world and make disciples. But we are called to go and step outside of the doors of our comfort zones. We are called to go. And this is where we can get tripped up, right? One of our core values is courageous evangelism. And we can get tripped up with that word evangelism. And we can think that that means I got to get on my bicycle. (laughs) I got to go drive to doors and knock on them. Hey, my name's Ben and you need Jesus. Let me tell you about him. (laughs) You ever get tripped up that way thinking I'm not a good evangelist because that's just not the way. I just can't do that. Can I just like kind of smash that and say, look, some people are gifted that way and I think people come to Christ through that way. But primarily for most of us, that's just not how we're wired. 
And primarily, I don't think that's how most people truly come to Christ. People come to Christ because people like you and me are authentic in living out our faith. We're not perfect. We screw up, right? We mess up. We don't fully live the witness. But you know what happens when we go to them and we say, man, I screwed up. I should not have treated you that way. I should not have responded that way. Or when things aren't going right and we're frustrated, but yet we respond in a gracious, humble way. We still speak the truth. That makes a difference in our community. When we start living our faith out authentically, when we are start living our lives the way God has called us to, when we start looking more and more like Jesus, the world is desperate to see people like that who care do you, do you see all the hatred in the world right now? In my understanding, this is the worst I've ever seen it. From a media standpoint, from social media, it is the worst I've ever seen it. And I've seen Christians participating in that. I think this could be a time where the church could experience the most genuine fruit that is ever experienced because it's not cool to be Christian anymore. But if you can display the love of Jesus with patience and kindness, even when people differ from you from a political standpoint, even though people differ from you and how you view COVID-19 on whether or not you should wear a mask, when you lovingly engage with conversation, even when you disagree, and you just start loving people and start building relationships with people, that is going to do far more evangelistic things than knocking on doors and saying, my name's Ben, you need Jesus. But here's the thing, if we're not building relationships, if we're not loving those hard people around us that God has placed in our midst, then we are going to miss the opportunity that God has given us to make disciples. But we got to go. We have to go. So the question is, are you going? Are you interacting with unbelievers? Or do you separate yourself because you realize, you know what, they are so far left or so far right or whatever or we just can't see eye to eye and so I'm just going to disengage myself from them. Did, did Jesus come and look for those who had it together and say, you know what, you, you see the same things I do, be my disciple. <laughs> While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But we have to be willing to get messy in relationships. Aren't relationships messy? <laughs> Even in the church, they're messy. Family relationships are messy. And so this is not a call to go find those who are easy. Just love those who are around you. Go with where you are at. Here's a simple thing that happened with us. We were, uh, Nikki and I had dinner with uh, uh, Sarah and Connor Mathis uh, a couple weeks ago. And we had this uh, waitress, her name was Kayla, I believe. And she I don't even know how the conversation started, but, you know, I'm just praying, looking for opportunities uh, to, to speak God into the language somehow. And she had, just, she had mentioned that her daughter had diabetes at a young age. And so I, if you know, um, what's their name, Megan the Mittens, they used to be a part of this. They moved to South Bend. They're actually part of Redemption City, I think. Uh, but their oldest daughter uh, came down with diabetes suddenly. They thought she had the flu they rushed her to the hospital, and things got really serious really fast and found out she had, she had diabetes. And so I remember how intense and how scary that was. I was at the hospital, and I was like, I had never seen anything like it. And so I just engaged, like, so did you find out, like, suddenly, or did you, did you find out slowly? Just to 
just because that's a traumatic experience if you've ever seen a child respond suddenly, all of a sudden it's not the flu and their life is in danger. That does something to you. And so I just engage in conversation like, hey, I know a lady at my church, I use that language to get in there, I had the same thing with their daughter. Like, how was the experience to you? And she began to, she actually kind of broke down and just shared how traumatic and how even now she's kind of living in fear with her daughter. And so that created an opportunity where when she came back later, Nikki asked, can we pray for you? So is, is that evangelism? I would say that's part of it. I think you have to proclaim the th- Jesus, right? You, you proclaim Jesus as the full value of evangelism. But part of evangelism is just loving people where they are at, hearing a story, asking if you can pray, not fearing whether or not they would reject you and say, no, I don't believe in God. We can still love those people through that. But are you going? Are you looking for opportunities where you can share the good news of Jesus? Jesus gives our calling, and he calls us to go starting with where you are at. Here's truth number three. Our calling is to preach the gospel. Our calling is to preach Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19, the second half there. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So this doesn't mean that, hey, I want you to gather your friends and just have a pool party. And then just throw them in the water and call them baptized. <laughs> like that's kind of a crazy thing. It's, it's beyond a person getting wet. We are called to build relationships. And with those relationships, we're just asking the Lord. We're not looking for a number conversion. We're looking to love the person. But we're also asking God to open a door for us to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the full scope of evangelism is building a relationship but then giving the message of Jesus Christ. And so when we share that message and when people respond in genuine faith, what's the next step that Jesus calls us to do? To baptize them. So Jesus wants us to go out. He wants us to preach the gospel. And I, and I don't like the statement anymore. I used to kind of like it, but now I'm like, I just, this, this, it's not the full statement here. When they say, preach the gospel and use words if you have to. Like if you've heard that, I just personally don't like that. Because that doesn't tell the whole story. Nobody can be, nobody's going to be saved just by looking at your life. They, how can anyone hear the good news unless somebody speaks it? So we are called to proclaim with our lips the good news of Jesus. And when we see people come to faith, then we look to baptize them. So let's just spend a couple minutes here talking about what is baptism. First and foremost, let me just say baptism is not part of earning salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It's not, it's not repentance and baptism. But Jesus calls us to walk out in obedience, baptism. But go back to the thief on the cross. What did Jesus tell him? Today you will be with me in paradise. He wasn't baptized. (laughs) But we are called to walk forward in obedience to baptism. So let me just walk through what I say. So we haven't had a baptism service here. I know we have one on the docket. If you want to be baptized, you have not yet been baptized after responding to Christ. I'd love to talk to you. And we got to figure out what that's going to look like for us. But here, here's what I say, and I think this will help lead us into what baptizing, 
baptism is. So the first thing I say right before I put them under is based on your profession of faith. So if you've been to Gospel City for baptisms, you know that the first thing that happens before they're dunked is they give their testimony. They give their declaration of how, what their life was like before Christ, how they came to Christ. And as pastors, we sit and interview and listen to the stories to make sure that they understand clearly what salvation is. That they are not mistaken by some kind of works-based salvation. Salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through Christ alone. And some people we've had to turn away because after hearing their story, it doesn't line up with Scripture. They don't understand the repentance and they just wanted their life to be easier. And so we want to clarify to make sure you understand what salvation is. Because so many people in the world were told when they were eight years old that they said a prayer and they were saved and their life has made no difference. But when Jesus comes in our life, we are different. And he changes us. And so based on that profession. And with that, only you and Jesus know whether or not there's true salvation. But based on your profession, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In, in our salvation, in coming to Christ, we realize that it was the work of God the Father. It was the work of God the Son. It was the work of God the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity, a mystery that we don't understand. It's not three gods. It's three persons in one God. Don't understand it. And I'm fine with that because if God could be explained, would, he really be, would we really be God? But God, in three persons, participated in the work of someone coming to salvation. I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried in the likeness of his death. So this is where we see baptism that has no set salvation to it. It doesn't make you saved, but it is a picture for us to see. And we see buried in the likeness of his death. So Jesus was buried, and just like we go under the water, it's like we are, we are declared dead to sin. And then I say, raised to walk in newness of life. And so because of the work that Jesus does internally, outwardly, our life is new. And it looks different. We don't have the same desires. We don't sin like we used to. We see fruit in our lives. And that's what happened. Jesus rose again to new, to new life. And that's the same thing. That's the picture of baptism. It's our conversion from being dead to being alive in Christ. And it makes us different. And this is the good news that we declare. And when people respond in faith, we baptize them. We are called to share the good news of Jesus with others. That they might taste and see that the Lord is good. So are you ready to share the good news? Do you know what you would say if God gave you an opportunity today? And I think this is where we get tripped up. Sometimes we think to share the good news of Jesus, I need to have the deepest theological understanding. I need to know all of the big words like reconciliation and propitiation. I think those are beautiful words. But, you know, sometimes the testimony is, you know what, I was a wreck. I'm still a wreck. But I'm not nearly the wreck I was. I once was blind, but now I see. And then maybe you lead them to somebody else who knows deeper truths, but you can share the good news of Jesus. And if you're not ready to, let me just encourage you, find someone who you trust. Find someone who you have seen such good fruit from and learn from them. Help me. Help me to understand the gospel more that I can share it. 
2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And then let's just be praying for opportunities. One of our core values is what? Fervent prayer. Make a list of those who God has put in your life, who you know need Jesus, and pray for them every day, fervently, expectantly. But we are called to preach the gospel. Here's number four. Our calling is to know Jesus and teach others. Our calling is to know Jesus' words and to teach them to others. Look at verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So we are called to teach them to observe everything that he has commanded. That word observe. It's this idea of watch over God's word. Take care of God's word. Guard his word. Keep your eyes on it. Think of somebody who is in the pressures of a possible war. And they're on the lookout for that night. What are they going to be doing? They are going to be looking out and making sure they keep their eyes on the whole area. We are called to have that same intensity. Observe the words of Jesus. Study them. Look into them. Dive into them. Guard them. Guard them in your heart. Remember in that definition that a disciple is a learner. And listen, we need to know Jesus. And we find out who Jesus is through his word. And I feel like a broken record sometimes. But let me just say it again. We will not grow as disciples of Jesus Christ if we aren't students of God's word. You don't need to spend half your day studying God's word. If you're able to, praise the Lord. That's awesome. Do it. But we're busy. We have things going on. We have lives. We have work. But we If we want to grow in Christ-likeness, if we want to experience the beauty of his word, then we need to be in it. And we cannot be disciple makers. We cannot go forward with the call to go if we don't understand what it means to be a disciple. So it starts with being a disciple. It starts with studying God's word. Invite others. Maybe there's somebody older than you who you respect and you want them in your lives to help you. Help me understand God's truth. Let me ask you to humble yourself. Go to that person to ask for help. Be a learner of God's word. And then we're called to go teach. We're called to not sit down in a formal setting. (laughs) It's not sit down and have a whiteboard and you're scribbling all that stuff. Again, if you're able to do that, praise the Lord. But that's the extreme. You can know God's word and you can be getting little nuggets every day that God can use you to speak into the lives of others. He doesn't just speak through scholars. He speaks through every single true believer in Christ. Because the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave lives in us. Amen? Be a learner of God's word. And it could be as simple when it comes to the sharing and teaching. It's just read the Bible. Hey, I know you're struggling. Can I just say that I'm, I struggle too, but I found great hope in God's word. Do you mind... What if we just sat and just read the Bible and we could just talk it through together? And we can wrestle it through together. I don't know everything. As I have questions, I go ask questions. But why don't we just sit and talk and and see what the Lord may have for you? It's as simple as that. And you don't have to be a scholar. There's enough for you. The spirit lives in you. He's going to give you what you need. And here's the greatest news as we quickly move to the last point. 
Our calling comes with the power of Jesus. Does anybody hear what I've just said this morning and think, oh my goodness, this is overwhelming. Me. (laughs) I'm called to go. That's scary. There's people out there who hate Jesus. What if they kill me? What if they pull a gun on me? (laughs) But we don't go on our own. Look. Behold. End of verse 20. Behold. What this means is like, do not miss what I'm about to say. This is important for you. All of you, I need your eyes up here, right? This is what he's saying. Disciples, look at me. Do not miss what I'm about to say. You can take this to the bank. This is going to be super important for you to hear. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, Jesus is with every single believer until he returns and takes us home. And so we can be bold witnesses for him. We can be a courageous evangelistic people because Jesus is with us. So maybe your prayer this week is, Jesus, I'm afraid. Help me to remember that you're here with us. Jesus, I can't do this. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Help me. But he's with you. Do you realize that? The creator, the one who has been given all authority over heaven and earth, he is with you now so that when you go out into your workforce this week and you've been reminded this morning of, man, I hate that guy. (laughs) That lady drives me crazy. But you know what? I was lost. Now I'm found. And I have the good news and I can love that person because Jesus loved me. And my sins against Jesus are far worse than anyone else's sins against me. So I can love them. I can go to them. I can share the good news. And Jesus goes with you. And the problem for most of us is we don't realize that. Or we're just not impressed. And so that's the call for us this morning. Jesus, in his authority, has called us to go, starting with where we're at. He's called us to make disciples. He's called us to preach the gospel so that they might respond in faith and we can baptize them and celebrate a life that has been brought from death to life. And we have the opportunity to grow in our knowledge of scripture so that we can teach others the good news of Jesus in growing. See, Church growth is not just about adding new people. Church growth is about strengthening the believers that are here because we want everybody to come to maturity in Christ. And don't forget, believers, that Jesus is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your salvation in our lives. God, you have rescued us from our greatest problem. And Lord, our greatest days are not going to be here on this earth. And so God, let us live them in such a way where we anticipate the hope that is to come when you return and take us home. And God, give us compassion as we see a world that is spinning out of control and we see people who are lost and we see people that are desperate who need you. And we have the good news, God. Keep us from being like the world who just rejects those who don't look like us. If that was the case, Jesus, you would have never came. 
For we are far more like the messed up people in the world because that's who we were in our former days. God, give us compassion. For those who drive us crazy, would you give us such a burning desire for them to come to you that would lead us to fervent prayer? That would lead us to build a relationship even when it's messy, even when they say things that grind against us because we realize and understand the great hope that we have in you. Lord, I'm convinced if, our, if we catch this understanding of this great calling, if we understand that you are the power that goes with us, that is not us who saves people, but it's your spirit, it's you moving. God, if we're faithful in this, we're going to see our church grow. I don't know what that means necessarily, but I do know it, it will be glory to you, and that's really what matters most. Whether you add another person to this or not, if people are rejecting you, Lord, just keep us faithful. Keep us a joyful people. Keep us a loving people, Lord. Keep us faithful to the calling to go where we're at, Lord. We need you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. Thank you that you are with us. Lord, spur in us in such a way that where that really does produce such great excitement and fruit in our lives, knowing that we're not going alone ever. You never leave us or forsake us. Oh, Lord, remind us of that this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand now as we respond to Christ that he is the one that we will follow. He is the one that we will pursue. Sing along.